We are in a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. And because we've got a few uh, uh, new visitors here, I just want to give you uh, just a quick recap. In the first week on our series of Ecclesiastes, we saw how um, the teacher in Ecclesiastes teaches us that everything is havel, Havel, Havelim, Hako, Havel, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit like meaningless, and you may have heard that it, it translated that way, but it's more like, it's like smoke. It's like an enigma. It's like a mystery. You, you think you can get it. You think you understand the life that we have, and still it keeps slipping out of our grasp. It is just something you cannot quite grasp, right? In the second week, we talked about the cyclical nature of the rise and fall of kingdoms, of families, of, of things, and, and, and how everything just time just seems to keep repeating itself over and over again. Is there meaning in the midst of all this? The Lord says to us that everything is beautiful in its time. There is an appropriate time for an appropriate thing and in that time, everything is made beautiful. We spent a couple of weeks, right, unraveling uh, some of the myths of our world that money is, is, is the most important narrative or that success, that achievement, that leaving a, an earthly legacy, that these things are the most important narratives. And we see how Ecclesiastes unravels and dismantles those myths so that we see that actually you can build the grandest, the biggest, and stockpile the, the, the deepest, accruing of wealth, all that can go just like that, right? And today, today, Ecclesiastes is going to push into perhaps the most offensive question of all. Is righteous living really going to pay off? And he asks this question, Right, he asks this question without, he doesn't even really ask the question, it flat out says it. Right? It says that, oh, you want to be so righteous? <laughs> Actually, it's not worth it. Right? It's, it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on there. This is violating everything that I know about my Christian faith. You know? Can you back up? Can you explain this a little bit? So if you know your Ecclesiastes, you know that the teacher in Ecclesiastes, Old Testament times, of course, pre-Jesus, of course, and making very, very sharp observations about the world, asking very taboo questions about the world. Unfortunately, or as it would be, his answers, he finds his solutions also under the sun, not beyond our existence. And so the answers that you will find in Ecclesiastes will always need to be supplanted by the power of the resurrected King Jesus. Okay, so every answer you get in Ecclesiastes, you must bring it under the light of the cross and under the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And then you see the extent of the, the fullness of the answer not contained in Ecclesiastes, uncontainable in Ecclesiastes, but revealed to us elsewhere in Scripture. That's the nutshell of the last few weeks and today. I'm going to show you a series of Scriptures. I'm going to read them out to you. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 15 says, In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. What do you think about that, right? Righteous people die, evil people live, right? I'm going to jump over now to 
Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said, ah, this is also vanity, right? In other words, good people get what bad people deserve, bad people get what good people deserve. Right? He's making this observation, and it's a true observation. I think that we all agree, sometimes observing the world is frustrating like that, right? There are, there are no easy formulas, right? And I'm going to swing you back a few verses to 8 verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried, so the wicked died. But... They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. Such things means their evil works, right? And, and, and going in and out, right? Still wicked, but still can access the holy place, right? This also is vanity. Why? Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. In other words, when justice, when consequences, when divine retribution, when cause and effect is slow, then people see all you wicked people prospering, living long and still have access to the holy things, still have access to the place that gives them, that validates them, that gives them, that authenticates uh, them, that legitimizes them then it causes the hearts of the children of men to waver, to waver towards that. Wow, if they can, and then they seem to be legitimized, God does not kill them, God does not strike them down. Why? Later, Ananias and Sapphira, boom, just like that, they die, right? right? But here, they don't war, right? And so, their hearts of the children of men waver. And they say, if the life of wickedness and evil and greed and oppression and, 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 and being hard on each other is rewarding, then let's all go down that way. Lah. Easier, ma, right? More beneficial, ma, right? And so, don't worry about that. Um, thus, righteous living actually pay off. That is the question. Does righteous living actually pay off? Now, I want to I, I want to show you Ecclesiastes Puni answer, okay? Ecclesiastes Puni answer, as I said just now, will always be slightly limited. The answer is this Be not overly righteous, do not make yourself too wise. I don't know if you've got some problems with that, right? Okay? <laughs> I spent a long time thinking about this verse, by the way, and, I, and I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to paraphrase it for you in a moment, right? Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? In other words, too, too quote-unquote wise can die on her, okay? And then it says this, right? Be not overly wicked. Now, I've got a problem with that as well. It's, it's, it, the, the way it's phrased almost sounds as if you can be a bit wicked, right? Just don't be, just don't be too bad, right? Um, uh, and then, of course, there's a parallel of the first line, neither be a fool, right? Why should you die before your time? Um, I think this means something like the following. Don't be so, quote-unquote, righteous, don't be so, in Malay we say luros bundle, yeah? So, so luros, so square, right? Don't be so righteous to the point that you are naive. And I can affirm this for you. I think Ecclesiastes makes all these observations um, that, that if you spend some time sitting in it and thinking about it, there's a lot of 
worldly truth, okay, like, or, or like practical earthly truth, right? Don't be so guai until you are naive because there's nothing, there's nothing God-glorifying about naivety. You don't, you, if you're not aware that the world is hard and harsh and cruel, and you go out there expecting everybody to be sweet and rosy to you, right? And then, and then the world happens to you, you come back and you have post-traumatic stress disorder because you weren't prepared, right, for how hard. Naivety does not glorify God, okay? Okay, being, and, and that's why my favourite definition of meek, blessed are the meek, right? They shall inherit the earth. My favourite definition of meek is, you know how to use a sword, but you keep it sheathed. People have, have described meekness as power under control. And that is what meekness is, right? It's the opposite of... Meek is not naive. If you think meek is naive, you're wrong. Meek is you know how to use your sword, but you keep it sheathed. You control the strength you have, right? That's meekness. That's this, okay? But the second part is this. Don't shun, quote-unquote, weaknesses. Weak, sorry, wickedness. But it's, it's not asking you to be wicked. It's saying, don't be so afraid of some of the streetwise ways of the world to the point that you don't know how to be shrewd. And I think that's a difficult one for us to wrestle with because we know shrewdness usually as being something that's associated, adjacent to ruthlessness. And a ruthlessness, of course, is adjacent to wickedness, oppression, cheating one another. So we need to know what God says to all of us, okay? In the New Testament, Jesus actually does say that you should be wise as serpents, right? Uh, um, but innocent or, or gentle as doves as well, right? And so this is adjacent to that, right? One day, I will preach on the parable of the shrewd manager, right? That's the guy who was told he has to leave the business and then he went and like carried favour with all of the stakeholders, you know, so that when he was finally led to the door, he had a living outside. One day we'll tackle that. But that is this, right? Scripture's not telling you to be wicked, but it is telling you don't be naive. It is telling you know how to be shrewd in this world. You must be able to survive in a difficult world, right? But back to the question. Does righteous living actually pay off? Now, there are many ways you can answer this. I'm going to be trying to be hierarchical on this. Does it pay off in this life? Does it pay off in the afterlife, right? Let's, let's spend some time talking about does righteous living actually pay off in this life, okay? So, in this life. Now, you may have heard it said before, righteous living does pay off while we are here on earth, you may have been told the answer is like a yes. That if you are righteous, God will bless you. How many of you have heard that? Of course we've heard that. How many of you have read scriptures like, doesn't have to be, but like Psalm 5 verse 12 that says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favour as with a shield. Or in Proverbs 21 that says, Whoever pursues righteousness and love, they find life, prosperity, and honour. That sounds like a blessed life. That sounds like the Bible is making a promise to me that if I pursue righteousness, and I'm going to define righteousness as living in the right way before God, right? Um, doing the right thing before God. If you do the right thing before God, you will get life, prosperity, honour, blessing. 
I'm going to define blessing as things go well for you. Lah. Life is good. You don't get trouble. You have favour. And you have a good ending. You have a good middle as well. Right? That your life is blessed. Is it true? Does it hold up? Now, I want you all to test it. Because as students of Scripture, as disciples of Christ, we have to test everything. And so, I'm going to ask you, are there instances where you are righteous, you do good things before God, you live right before God, but actually, you don't yield prosperity, you don't yield honour, you don't yield long life, you don't yield blessings? Have you heard of stories like that? I see you all nodding your heads, right? And so, for some of you, your, your discipling journey has helped you to be a bit more layered. Maybe not, or at least maybe not always. Righteous living may not always pay off in this life. And it really doesn't take you very, very long to search through the Scriptures to immediately land on a few characters for whom the answer is maybe not. Let's start with Moses, right? Moses, who obeyed God, lived right by God, the best he knew how. What did he have to face every day? Rebellion. One day is rebellion by these people, one day is rebellion by another people, next day it's Massa and Meribah, right? He has to come down from the mountain and see the golden calf and everyone worshipping idols, right? He, he gets angry and what's his reward for being angry? He has to sit outside of the promised land because he struck out in human anger, right? In sinful anger. He has to see everyone else enter the promised land while he sits outside and dies on that mountain. By any stretch of our definition, that is not a, a, a kind of ending that you would have wished for a man like Moses. And still, that was his journey. How about someone like David who walked right by God especially in his youth and while he walked right by God and Saul was the wicked king, the insecure king, the one with all kinds of dysfunctions, but David had to run and flee and hide in holes and caves and fields, always on the run, perpetually. That's not a blessed life. That's not, at least not a typically blessed life. That's not what you would associate with life, prosperity, honour and blessing. How about Elijah who stood right before God, right? In, in, in the issue of Jezebel, right? But immediately after that, everything crashed for him, right? And he had to run, he had to flee, he fell into depression and he was suicidal. How about someone like Jeremiah who is a stand-in for all the prophets who spoke the truth as God spoke to them with the heart and the desire to lead the, the, the God's people out of idolatry and out of sin. But the rewards that they got was death. Over and over and over again, the prophets were rewarded with death for their righteous living. And in the New Testament, you see John the Baptist just the same. You see Stephen and James from our Acts series just the same. And it, you're left with not a lot of options other than to say, actually, ha, this righteous living thing, not sure, not sure if it pays off in this life. And Ecclesiastes, 
has its own version of its answer. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event, that is, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. Jesus said that himself, right? The same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil. But I think the New Testament is a little bit more strong on this. And Jesus and the apostles continue to encourage us that actually, I don't know if you can call it encouragement, it's actually emboldening us, right? That this path that you've walked on, by choosing to walk on the straight and narrow path of Jesus Christ, is going to come at a cost. And it will not some days it will not appear like it pays off. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So, this, 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 is this. You see that? It's a redefinition of what is a blessing. And you would never define insult as blessing. I need to redefine insult as blessing. Quite recently, someone insulted me. <laughs> I let it slide after a little while. But I did not redefine it as a blessing. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the insult, right? <laughs> Maybe I need to work on that. I think I do. Because it is a blessing to be reviled in the name of Christ. Now, it's no blessing to be hated because you're annoying, yeah? Yeah? That's not, that's not a blessing. That's a temperature check, right? It's a temperature reading. Let me move on. Do not be surprised, my brothers, this is the Apostle John. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Because we don't have the same values as the world and and, you know, lengthen across a certain amount of time. You, you continue living out Christ-like values, godly values, righteous way of living. You're going to run against the culture of the world today. And they are not going to like that, right? What else does it say? Peter the Apostle says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. If... You are walking right by God and you are running against headwinds and you feel like a salmon swimming uphill all the time. It's not strange. It's the new normal. It's your Christian normal. It's your Jesus walking normal. Because Jesus himself walked into the strongest headwinds in the three years of his ministry. It was never smooth sailing for him. It was never meant to be smooth sailing for us. And so it shall be. Amen, church? And the sooner we work this out, the more resilient Christians we are going to be. Because if we enter the cruel, difficult world, thinking that we're going to get our health and wealth and stealth, okay, maybe not stealth, our health and wealth, and we feel entitled to blessing. We feel entitled that if God does not 
pour out lavishly the kind of worldly things that we define as the blessing and the honour and the living and all that. If we don't get that, then, then we look to God and we say, who are you? Why you don't give? You promise, right? And so, I, I'm going to use an expression. I really am not using this expression to knock on anybody, okay? Um, but it's an attitude. It's an attitude that I want us to not have. There is a book entitled Your Best Life Now, right? Okay? doesn't matter who wrote it. You don't even have to go and look, right? Christians sometimes think that our, our, our call is to live our best life now. So I want to blow this myth. No. Our best life is not now. Our best life is later. We are not living for the best life now. We are investing and sowing our present mortal bodies, our mortal thinking, because your own capacity to think and to act is finite. Before you know it, you can't remember things so clearly anymore. Your body is frailing. You get up from the chair, your knees crack, your back hurts, and you can't remember where you put your keys, right? And God is saying to us, use your finite body not to live it up to your best life. Now, even if you did, you will enjoy it for only like four score and ten. No. Use your life now to sow into your best life later. Later. We're not living for now. We're not hedonistic in that sense. We're living for later. And that is the crux of the attitude we should have as we approach the question, does righteous living pay off? Just one more. If you are insulted for the this is an extension of the last verse, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, you see? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, not, I'm not asking you all to go suffering hunting, okay? Like, like, neither do we want that because that would not be God's ways, right? God did not ask you to go look for suffering. He asked you to walk right. That's all, okay? He asked you to walk right. And if you're walking right, Bring some of the blessings that Psalm 5 says. If you're walking right, bring some of the life and the honour that Proverbs 21 says. Good for you. Receive it in thanksgiving and joy. Knowing in your heart that this comes as a grace, you did not earn it. This is kemurahan Tuhan, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. And we receive it with joy, with thankfulness, and with sobriety. Don't get drunk on blessings, blessings in an earthly kind of sense. We receive these blessings with a sober mind. Okay? Prepare always for headwinds in front of us. Now, living right and walking right before God will sometimes contain pockets of joy because we celebrate life together and when we have the same Lord and we have the same Jesus, we enjoy serving together. We enjoy walking together. Even some of the icky parts become joyful. 
And I want to share with you um, about our Tandit missions trip that took place last Sunday when a group of us were not here in church. We were over there in Tandit. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, we, we being SIBKL, we built these hostels, um, a boys' hostel and girls' hostel in Tandit, another hostel in another kampong called Tambulion. We built this hostel so that our students, our SIB students, right, from the kampong kampong, don't have to walk one, two hours, sometimes three hours, to come out from the kampong every day to go to school. So we have hostels that they can stay in, and then from the hostels across the road only, right? It's literally the, the school is across the road. Um, uh, they can go to a school, right? And so in the hostels, they study together, they've got tuition there, they eat nutritious meals, and so on. And so over last weekend, a group of us went to Tande. You know, this is a photo of all of us uh, with the 74 boys and girls at our hostel there. We went there to minister, um, to share, and along the way, they shared with us, the, the wardens in the hostel shared with us about some of their needs. And so we uh, heard their needs, we crafted sessions to bring and to really spend time with them. Their church, the sessions were mostly held in their church. Their church is a wooden uh, uh, building that looks exactly like this. This is SIB Pekantande, which is next door to the hostels, right? When you walk into church, it looks like this, right? Um, no glass door, and, and they don't wear their slippers in, right? Everyone leaves their, their slippers outside. In fact, I'm quite sure that I came home in someone else's slippers, you know? <laughs> Identical black flipper slippers, right? Like I think I, I'm quite sure it doesn't quite fit the same, right? That's how that's how you enter church. Um, the Tandit Hostel itself looks like this, you know. Um, there is kind of like a double volume in the center so that it's airy and the students can study there, you know. Um, there is another one opposite for the boys. This one is the girls' hostel. Inside our sessions were like this, right? And these are our girls uh, running a session on on consent boundaries um, and uh, and uh, and s safety, right? Um, uh, for the girls there, right? And and we did the same thing for the boys as well. We did quite a lot of interesting sessions. Uh, this is so that's Chumpo and and uh, Amanda, Rabbi and Anne. That's all of them. That's Xavier with his uh, with his group of boys. Where's Xavier? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Xavier with his group of boys. You know, he had the biggest group uh, um, of boys. This is Chumpo uh, with her group of girls. You know, and that's all of us outside uh, the the Jubilee um, Hostel. Uh, entrance. Now, I'm going to get uh, Stephen and Rabbi and Rebecca to come up and just share a few stories uh, with you, you know, about our time there. Because as they share, this is what I want you to catch. I want you to catch um, the necessity for this kind of work. Okay, I want you to catch that this is SIB DNA, right? The reason why we are here in Semenanjong, there's an SIB in Semenanjong, is that we can, we can resource those who are not resourced. We can become a channel. We can become a, 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 a gateway for resource to move in 
our church, right? And so later when the service is done, you can go around to the back, right? And there is our book, Our Story, His Story. It's flapped open at our little library there with a picture of Pastor Chu, Pastor Lee Chu and a bunch of uh, 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 Sarokian children. You can read some of those stories because that in those pages contains the birth and the genesis of our Sabah project as well. Now I want to invite Stephen to come up, Stephen Poe, to come up and share with us about his time. There, come Stephen. Stephen, come. Right here, brother. Stephen Cook for the students, by the way. Yeah. Good morning, church. Um, Pastor called me a few days ago, and um, since then, I was thinking about what to say. <laughs> and despite of uh, the number of days of preparation in the mind and, and spirit and soul, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't write down anything, so uh, I'm just going to share um, what we went through the, uh, last weekend. Um, as usual, in all, in all the, what do you call, uh, mission trip, I'm always overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed with the tasks before, before me and before the team, as well as humble at the same time. Uh, because we like to think that when we go for, to, to any mission trip, that, oh, we've got tons of things here we want to share with you guys. And then, lo and behold, when you are actually there, it's just the reverse. <laughs> yeah. we, may, we, may, we may go there with the, uh, every good intention, but uh, the people that's learning uh, um, actually, it's the people that went rather than the people that are there. Yep. Uh, so, um, I was given a group of uh, nine boys uh, between the ages of 17 and 19. And um, these boys, you know, the, the first feeling that you get when you see them is they are all very guarded, <laughs> yep, um, guarded for, for reasons of their own. Uh, but you get the feeling that things are not quite right uh, if you dig a little deeper into their lives. And uh, you actually see, you can actually see and actually feel that, uh, you know, they are, they are struggling in, in, in ways of their own, yep. Uh, many of them come from broken families, uh, broken like you never know. Yep, so really, really broken. Uh, they got abusive uh, fathers that beat them up. Um, they um, they live in poverty. Uh, they like Pastor Fergus says they have to walk hours to school, um, and all that. And because of that, there's a lot of anger inside them. Yep, uh, anger which I didn't think that. Uh, in just one weekend, we are going to resolve or do anything to help them. We can only pray for them at that time. Um, and then you, you actually see them uh, really, really struggling. A lot of them, uh, the, during the last night when we were praying for them, um, there were a lot of manifestations as well. Um, so the need for all this work is tremendous, church. Is just tremendous, 
and I don't want to, I know this is not the, the, the platform, not the forum for it, I don't want to talk about the political implications of, of Sabah and Sarawak, but Sabah and Sarawak uh, does hold, they do hold uh, um, the, I don't know what you say, <laughs> they do hold something in our political realm, yep. Uh, so that, that's another story, but uh, let me just, uh, just uh, share this and I'll just uh, pass it back to Pastor Fergus. Um, we have a lot of work to do, uh, in particular um, for, for the boys that are in these hostels. Um, they severely, uh, I am I, not using the word distinct, um, uh, they severely need um, male role models. Godly male role models, and I believe a lot of you in this church will be able to do that. So you know, uh, we'll pray about it, and uh, maybe in future future trips uh, to Sabah and Sarawak, you you can join uh, the team. So do pray whether there's a tremendous need in Sabah and Sarawak for for this work, and. Uh, Pastor Fergus and the team, I think, uh, will be basically talking about this further next time uh, in order to see how we can actually move forward with uh, more organized uh, trips next time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Stephen. You know, we, our first session was on a Friday night and then the whole Saturday. By Saturday night, some of these boys were calling Javier and Stephen dad. It's testament to the vacuums they have in their lives that if an older man can just come, even young men, yeah, if an older man can just come into their lives for 24 hours and give them the dignity and the attention and the listening and the love, they see you like a father. You are the father they never had. It's more than their, some of their fathers have ever done for them. Yeah. I want to invite Rebecca to come up and share from her perspective the girls' groups. Rebecca was also training together with Amanda as well. Yeah, come, come. Hi, morning church. Um, not like Stephen, I, I, I have notes. <laughs> I need notes. So, so before we went, actually, some of us, um, we were very nervous, very anxious. Uh, we felt that we were not equipped. From, from many levels in terms of language, we have to deliver um, the sessions and pray in VM, right? So, but, but we all, um, we continue to pray and I think after this trip, it's really a testament that we had very little to give but God really multiplied our efforts. We have dictionaries of, you know, what are the words in blessing in English to VM and, 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 and during our, the Saturday night that when we were ministering um, with the girls on our side, um, uh, for my experience, even though I had very little words when it comes to prayer, God really ministered to them. God really spoke life to them with my very limited BM prayers that, that I had. So um, I think from the workshop as I was leading the sessions and you know, um, with the girls that I was assigned to, which is around 15 and 16 years old and 14 years old, I can see that, I can see from their eyes, they are kids who are who are so passionate to learn, so eager to learn, and, and they will they were, they were really have a passion for intellectual um, uh, 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 knowledge. 
and they really yearn for relationships. I can see, you know, I was observing and I was like giving the sessions. Um, they were, they were, they were, they were really there to 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 learn and full of curiosity. However, like what Stephen said, that it's really a lot of work to be done, um, especially when it comes to helping them to search for their identity. Uh, that it's rooted in God's love and 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 also a, a Christ identity. So um, we did one of the exercises where we asked them to draw their life uh, lifetime experience. The, the life timeline, like what we did in, in if some of you attended our church camp, right? Um, so some of the kids, as they drew, you can see the girls, um, our group, once they drew, immediately they flipped the paper over, they covered it. They did not want anybody to see it. Um, one of the girls, um, they were very, she was very vulnerable. She shared her experience, but you can see it took so much courage, so much of bravery to share um, the downs of her life. And that she shared that, you know, um, she skipped schools and, you know, I asked her, isn't skip school something that it's fun? She said, yes, but deep down it was a lot of embarrassment. It was part of the down of, of the life. And, and in a hostel, it was very strict. Uh, 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 it was something that wasn't glorified. And it's something that it's, it's a lot of embarrassment, fear in them. And because that girl's bravery, the rest of the girls started to connect with us. More and more of them started sharing. More of them open up. But there are some girls who are still very, very hesitant to share. The entire time um, I, I was observing that she was quiet. All the paper was face down. She even rolled up and just put it on the side and did not want to open up. Um, but when Pastor called that, you know, when you surrender your life to God, I saw that one of the girls was the first one that rushed out to the front it's, it's very heartwarming and, 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 and also opened my eyes that, that these kids really need a lot of ministering and guidance and role model that are rooted in Christ's identity of who they say they are. Um, when they share about their challenges, really there's a lot from resentments from their siblings, how they were blame as an older kid because of their siblings, um, the kinds of responsibilities of their socioeconomic status and stuff like that. And later, I actually heard um, one of our team that shared with us for the older kids where they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, despite having to study hard, scoring good grades, they, they don't see there is hope, even though they got accepted to tertiary education. And one of the reasons is because their parents would want them to work, even though they got scholarships. And it's, it's really very heartbreaking because you often think that, you know, when you study hard, this is where education will, can change your life. But it's not. Uh, often the case in that when you're stuck in that vicious cycle, uh, that's not the case. And so, really, really a lot of work to be done. I, 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 I must say that in the long term, and they were already asking us, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? There's so much of connection that they wanted to form, so much of yearning of, of, that, of that role model that, that they wanted. Uh, how, how do I navigate this life in that kind of situation? I once worked with a professor, a psychologist. She told me that you can't be a family therapist if you have not 
um, if you are not a parent or have kids or a grandparents, because there is so much power in life experiences that we are the people of church who, have, who were once a teenager, who were once go through the, the searching of, of life, of what's the purpose. And this is what they also yearn for and look after in, in God's plan and purpose in uh, circumstances where I don't get to choose um, where do I go, what do I do, what's the plan and hope for them. And, and yeah, and, and that's the end of my sharing. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rabbi. Thanks so much. You know, the conditions, the conditions in the hostel, I, under, I understand from some of our members from our team, is about par for the cost with any other government hostel. Like, in fact, it might be better than some government hostels. I'm not sure, right? Um, uh, but it's definitely more comfortable for you here in your homes, right? You have your rain shower, you have heated water, you know. Um, they don't have that. In fact, some of the boys, they have to fill water on taps, right, into bucket. And it's the last one, right, shower, and it's cold, right? Um, and so when we were there, we lived like them. We lived with them, we lived like them, you know. And uh, they all paid their airfare to go, right? No one sponsored them, they paid their way there, you know, and so while they were there, it wasn't always easy, right? Um, if hygiene uh, is, is, is a big thing, cleanliness, tighten, that kind of thing, you know, then sometimes you walk into the bathroom, I don't know about the girls' bathroom, you walk into the boys' bathroom, it's like, boys have been here, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, you see, Jesus says, Anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross daily. The Luke 9 version says, take up his cross daily and follow me, right? Um, and taking up your cross daily and denying yourself is not, it's not, or if we imagine this grand act of self-sacrifice, you know, you throw yourself under the bus, you know, someone's, someone lives and it's, it's like, for most of us, that will not be the story. For most of us, that pick up your cross daily is this little acts. And I call them little because there's a huge piece of work to be done. Right? These acts of love, these acts of self-sacrifice, these acts of contribution to the body of Christ. They too are our Christian brothers and sisters. And so I was telling the team that in our Sungai Buloh Church, three years, we've got kids. We don't have youth enough to have a youth church, you know. We don't have youth ministry in, in any sense of the word. But I think after this trip, I think of them as being like our youth as well. And I think all those who went, they are our youth. When you talk about youth, we are thinking of them, right? And so, and so this is the kind of church, after three years, I want us to be. This is the kind of church that I believe the Lord has placed on our hearts. The kind of vision to be able to see, the kind of mission to be able to go, right? The kind of values and culture that we carry when we go. This is the kind of church we are called to be. And that is what walking right by God looks like. Why then? When we think about this entire 
topic of today's sermon, Ecclesiastes, does righteous living actually pay off in this life? Maybe it doesn't even pay off. If it doesn't pay off, then the question that we have to ask is, why then do we live righteously? Right? And I'm going to do right now what actually many of the stories in some ways are already done. We know that we don't live a righteous life out of self-interest. Because if you're living a righteous life out of self-interest, maybe some minority percentage of the time you will, it will be of some self-interest, but most of the time it will not. It's actually counterintuitive to live a righteous life. Actually, so why do we live righteously? It is because there is no other way to live. I mean, there are other ways to live. Let's be honest, there are. But for the Christian conformed to the image of Christ, there is no other way you want to live. That's why you live righteously. Because as a Christian, if Christ's hand has come in and has reshaped you so that now you are conformed to the image of the Son, this new image cannot and will not choose any other way to live. So even if it is in self-interest, it is not because of the self-interest. Even if it is against your self-interest, there is no other way you would choose to live. Because when Christ conforms you to His own image, there is only one way you want to live. You want to live like Christ. You want to live like Christ, there is no other alternative. And every day we pick up our cross daily, every day we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. And it looks a bit like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, says Paul in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in this flesh, I live by faith to the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now I'm going to tell you this. We all understand that to live a righteous life comes with trade-offs. And most of us presented with certain scenarios are, be, are able to compute the trade-off. We know what we would trade off in order to live a righteous life. So I'm going to give you an illustration just as we move into the closing. If I told you that you were caught, right? You, you, you were captured, okay? Um, and there was a five-year-old child, both of you are captured, okay? And your captors told you that if, told you that you have to torture the child, Okay? Let's say your captors to make you, force you to torture that child. Or if they said, if you torture this child, we'll give you 50 ringgit. I'll give you a stupid number. Lah. If you torture this child, we'll give you 50 ringgit. If you don't torture this child, we'll take 50 ringgit from you. What will you do? You would rightly so say, take my 50 ringgit. I will not do this, right? I see some of you not nodding. I hope you, would, I hope you would say, take my 50 ringgit, right? This is not worth it. Righteous living, there is a trade-off. There is a right way to do it. This evil act, I will not do it. You can have my 50 ringgit. You can have 100 ringgit. What if it's 50,000 ringgit? No, I'm making your thing because there is a line beyond which you will say, stuff it, I'm not doing this. Really? I'm not kidding you. There is a line beyond which you are likely to say, stuff this, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to sacrifice this at my own expense anymore. Would you, would you hold up for 50,000 ringgit? Would you stump it up? 5 million ringgit, you're bankrupt. That's it. You're every, all your assets go. What if we said, 
at the cost of your baby finger. What if we said, whatever torture that was supposed to go on that child goes on to you? At what point would you say, forget this, this is not worth it anymore? At what point does the price of the trade-off become too much? Because it's going to come at a cost. Living righteously is going to come at a cost and it may start cheap. It may start affordable. And then what if it keeps going up? What if the price, the cost of righteous living becomes more and more until the stakes are so high, you ask yourself, can I do this? Because the furthest point anyone can take you on this game of trading off is to ask for your life. Once you've settled that, I know for some of us, you know, 50,000 might sound bigger than your life because it's like, I don't, I, don't even have, I don't even have money right now. I'm broke, right? Now, once you've settled the issue of would you give your life, they can't take anything more from you. They've taken everything away from you. And the moment you say, you can even take my life, I won't do this. No deal. I will not, I cannot be bought. If you've settled that, and if you know that's your line, that's power. Because there are two ways to derive power. You can either be like your captors, who amass so much power that they can buy everyone off power. right? You can either derive power by amassing so much resources that you can keep paying off people and buying them out and buying them out. And that's one kind of power. But at best, that's the second best kind of power. The best kind of power is when you cannot be bought out. Because when you cannot be bought out, you live your life like a woman and a man with nothing to lose. Because indeed, you have nothing to lose. Because you consider yourself dead. I have been crucified by Christ. In Christ, it is no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me now. The life I live now, I live by faith in Christ. I'm dead. I've been given away. And so if you want to kill me, you can kill me. I'm walking the righteous life. And that's more powerful than amassing all the resources in order to buy people out. Why? Because if you care nothing left for your life other than to live the righteous life of Christ, then no one can buy you out. And you're more powerful than the person who buys everyone else out. And that's true power. And you know who manifested and exemplified that kind of power? Jesus. Because He stared into the eyes of wickedness and evil. First in the desert, where He overcame the temptations, right? Bow before me. What's the price? It's just a bending of your knee, right? And I'll give you all the thrones and all the glamour and the glitz of this world. He said, no deal. No deal, right? And on the cross, do we not know that at one snap of the finger, he could call down legions of angels to set him free? He said, no deal. I would not. And he considered his life as rubbish to be given away. As Paul would later paraphrase, right? I consider my life rubbish, given away so that I can know the surpassing worth of Christ my Lord. And that's true power. That makes the church 
powerful and frightening to the world when we can go out there and live our Christian lives like women and men with nothing to lose. And so in Ecclesiastes, it says this, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God before Him. But back to Paul. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. And all the saints and angels, they bow before your throne. They cast their crowns before the Lamb of God, right? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him and having a what? A righteousness. Not your own. Eh? To live this kind of righteous life is not your righteousness. Eh? To live a righteousness, not your own, but come, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. His righteousness depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power. Remember I talked about power? That's the kind of power. The power of what? Death cannot claim you. That's the power. When you and I are anchored in the power of resurrection, we will not fear death. When we do not fear death, we can pay any price in exchange for the righteous life. His resurrection that we may share in His sufferings and become like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the praiseworthy way to live. So can I have the worship team on stage? We're going to close. Church, I will not know and presume to know the kind of ethical and moral dilemmas you face. I don't know the kind of sacrifice you are going to have to make in order to walk right by God, I cannot calculate for you what it's going to come at a price of. Some of you, it's very real. Some of you, your entire industry is like that. And if you don't grease things nicely, properly, it's going to be really hard for you. And I cannot stand here and start prescribing to you the details of it. It's your walk, and it's your God, and it's your journey and I can get on the ground and put my arm around you and journey with you through it. But I won't do it from here because I will not give generalized medicine to all of you guys. But church, I can tell you this one thing. I can tell you this one thing. The righteous way of living pays off. If not in this life, certainly in the next. Certainly in the next. Because we are children of the resurrection. We don't have to put it up. It's okay. We are children of the resurrection. And those who live right by God, who live under by faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we come alive in the end. And our best life is not for now. Our best life is not yet. Not yet. So all eyes closed, all heads bowed. If you want to make a decision for Jesus, whether it is your first time to say yes to Jesus to be your Lord, your Saviour, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus to say, yes, Jesus, in this thing in my life, I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to stand. If that is you, I'm going to lead us all into a prayer. 
if you are facing a really challenging situation and it's really crushing you to think that you might have to let go of something in exchange for the surpassing worth of Christ, I want to pray with you. Father, today I choose Jesus. Say it. Say it in your heart. Say it with your mouth. Say it out loud. Father, today I choose Jesus. Today I choose the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord, as my God, as my Saviour, as my King, and as my future resurrection. Father, today I choose Jesus so I can live and walk the righteous life of Christ. And I ask for you to give me the righteous mind of Christ. And I ask you to give me courage to face headwinds. I ask you to give me strength and boldness and resilience and endurance to weather the storms that may be ahead of me so that when the day comes, that scripture is fulfilled when the words that you said that those who endure till the end will be saved, I will be counted among those who endure till the end. Lord Jesus, give me that kind of fire. A fire that is pure. A fire that is faithful. A fire that is bright and warm. Lord Jesus, give me a fire that will keep bouncing back. A resilient fire. A, f a, 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 a good helpful, fruitful fire. Make me like you and lift out of my voice a praise to the King. A praise to the King. Let us all rise to our feet. This is our prayer. This is our prayer. The Lord Jesus will return one day. His light will be bright, it will be beautiful and all those who belong to darkness, all those who love darkness will shrink away in howling anguish but for those of us who are saved by the light of Christ we shall be resurrected, we shall rise and all the saints of Jesus Christ saints not because we are so saintly by our own strength but because of the righteousness of Christ we shall arise from the dead and we shall gaze our eyes on Jesus' face and we shall say, this is my love, this is my life this is my resurrection and this will be my forever and ever in Jesus' name and therefore, we can say, Oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. Praise His name. What? Forever. For endless. Forever and for endless days. We will sing the praise of God. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Our God. Father, we thank you. May you now bless us. May you separate us with your love. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance over your life and give you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. amen. Just turn to one another and say, Amen. <laughs>